0: Welcome to the Tenuous Links Podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Welcome back to another Tenuous Links Golf Podcast, helping you add some swagger to your swing. And the best way to do that is by watching Season 2 of Golf Barons, now playing on Fox Sports 503 and on KO and Foxtel On Demand. Now, moving on to today's podcast, as we head into US Open Week, who better to discuss all the major things in golf than the world's tallest short hitter and our resident philosophizer and golf swing theorist, Philbert.
1: So who better? Okay, so Kipper? (laughs) Kipper would be better? Um, It was
0: slightly rhetorical.
1: Mike Cocking would be better? Uh, John from Chicago would be better.
0: Do you want me to keep going? because I don't think we have enough uh, time in the podcast to get through everybody. (laughs) But before we do kick off with the the US Open, Philly, look, there's been a hell of a lot going on in golf recently. There
1: there has been a lot, and some of it is only just coming to light. And so I'm just going to throw a bunch of things out here. And if there's conversation arising from them or not, and I'm sure there will be. So in in really recent news, how brutal pre-cues have become? Now, we'll get on to the US Open pre queue a little bit later on, but I just want to touch on a Corn Ferry Tour pre queue for the Wichita Open.
0: You do love Wichita, uh, don't you?
1: <clears throat> I do love Wichita and Wichita State University. Go, Shockers! A punch on between two players has resulted in one of them being arrested. <laughs> <laughs> and it is my understanding from social media, but that this is kind of how it went. Player A hits ball into trees. Player B and, sorry, loof player B and aloof player B's caddy choose not to assist player A looking for the ball. Um, they get to the green with a little bit of angst and player A throws out the, you could have helped me look for my ball. And player B's caddy responds with something along the lines of, you could have hit it straight. <laughs> a- and quote unquote from Twitter, and then it was on. And it's resulted in, let's just call him college snob, being arrested and disqualified. And if you look for the um, pre-Q results, you'll see that a player down the bottom has been disqualified (laughs) uh, because it was all just... I mean, talk about the heat of battle, but this is an etiquette thing.
0: Are you obligated to help your playing partner in a competition search for their ball? In an etiquette sense, you'd probably say yes.
1: Um, Well,
0: so what you are obliged to do, and this gets
1: onto, in fact, the, the second issue, what you are obliged to do as their marker is understand what their situation is at all points in time. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the obligation, as a playing partner in a competition, if your playing partner wanders off into the trees to look for their ball, and let's say they just happen to find one, and Damo, you know all about just happening to find one. Hurtful. And they play that out. You can't then dispute... Well, it makes it more difficult to dispute the end result. So I think there is an obligation for a playing partner, and in this case, player B... And certainly, player B's caddy to go and help player A look for their ball, unless you just want to punch on, and therefore you reap what you sow.
0: Do we know if there was any preceding, uh, I don't know, anger or or any any incidents that led up to this?
1: Well, well there was another suggestion, which is is not in any way factual, but that potentially player A was playing for his mortgage and his car payments, and player B was potentially rocked up in his Maserati you know, because life is going to be quite easy for him um, because daddy owns whatever daddy owns. A
0: bit, of, a bit of class warfare, you think, Phil?
1: I think that, no, but I'm not suggesting that is what happened at all. I think it was just the battle of one shit bloke and one bloke who just happened to hit a weak cut. Tuh, cut. Um, as opposed to the other one who happened to hit a weak... Um, anyway, there, there we go, which actually led to an idea, and I'm going to get back to the etiquette thing, which led to a tournament idea, um, and credit uh, Kevin Van Vakenberg on Twitter, whereby a tournament is everyone must pre-queue other than the person who won it the year before. But the pre-queue is done potentially over eight courses over a day. But it's all the tour players go in with all the club pros and amateurs and all this desperation, and it's all streamed live. And you can see this angst rising of the P-hearted pros who quit and the rich college kids who pull out because it doesn't matter and the ones who are just desperate to grind and grind and grind. Um... Because I think it would just be, it's a live for TV event. It's one of the greatest ideas. 155 spots are up for grabs, and there's only one. The only way you get a guaranteed start is by being the carryover champ.
0: Well, I think it'd, be, it'd certainly be fairer, that's for sure. But I don't know if it's necessarily what viewers would want. I mean, you feel like you want to have a dog in a fight, don't you? you want to, we don't just follow great golf, per se. We, we follow the characters of the game. So it's somewhat of a popularity contest out on the PGA Tour, is it not? You have your heroes, you have your villains. It's the it's kind of the the byplay of tournaments that we love the the plots, the subplots. That's the stuff that makes it entertaining, and is above all an entertainment business. So I'm not sure, not sure that you would have too many people glued if you don't have some of the bigger names there, Phil.
1: So at the moment, but you have all of them. Is the point? So at the moment, you've got 180 um, tour pros potentially holding up. Every week, so you actually know it's a set audience. You know what's going to happen, Brooks and Bryson. Whereas this is those hundred and eighty, and seven hundred others, club pros, amateurs, and all the rest of it, all competing because you you, the PGA Tour players all want to play because the prize might be twenty five million bucks. Oh, hello. So so you're still going to get the full field. It's just they're going to be scattered. And if you look at some of the the um, pre Q events um, for majors, they are every pre Q event is like a little mini. Is like a little mini major, but I just want to get back a couple. Here's a couple of other etiquette things. So that's the punch on on the Corn Ferry Tour where someone hit a cut and someone hit a cut. Um, dodgy drops. Now harsh, given this guy doesn't have status, but but Tain Lee. There was video of Tain Lee in the third round, I think, of the uh, Palmetto Championship, dropping his ball that had crossed the line of the hazard, but dead set. I fear, he was trying to bounce the ball. He, the flick of the wrist—you'll have to look up the video. I mean, there is a genuine. It is not just a letting go of the ball; there is a release down in the hope that that he has to place it.
0: A bit of yo-yo, you think?
1: Well, it just—it wasn't my favourite thing I've ever seen. Now, an- another etiquette one.
0: Mm-hmm. Gee, seems seems to be a lot of a lot of etiquette violations at the moment, Phil. What's the world um, coming well, to? Well,
1: it was a big. It was a very big weekend. Doma, you're playing golf. And one of your playing partners puts out and then walks to the next tee before you've even started putting.
0: We've seen this before, yeah.
1: What do you do? Are you happy? Unhappy?
0: Oh, personally, I'm not too fast. Depends who it is. Uh, it's not great. I'm with you. I know, I know pros particularly dislike it. Particularly dislike
1: it. It's ordinary, and again, getting back to this responsibility of the market. Oh,
0: it's it's shit bloke there's no doubt.
1: The market needs to know what your playing partner has scored. The market needs to be able to know what everything that's going on as opposed to Matilda Carsten, who's leading the, who was leading the MediHill and just decides that, well, I'm done. I'll see you on the next tee and walks off. Wow. Like, show some respect. I,
0: I don't understand when this game... It's getting pettier, isn't it? In its... People are ge- People are getting pettier on tour. Brooks and Bryson have a bit to do with this. We'll touch on them a bit later.
1: I, well, I certainly hope so. But it just keeps going. Now, what damage... Do you reckon kneeling on a green could do?
0: Well, at the, in my current state, uh, probably a fair bit of yeah, fair bit of damage, Phil.
1: But you'd imagine it would leave a it, couple of indentations. Cert- yes, it
0: certainly it? wouldn't wouldn't be uh, clear of any any issues.
1: So the irony of Danielle King kn- kneeling down behind her ball to repair a mark in front of her <laughs> ball so she can hit a putt <laughs> was not lost on me. So uh, in order to fix the green. I've had to put two dents in the... I've never, not once in my life, like Camillo Vajagas does his push-ups, as does Divot, to line the ball up, but deliberately at no point in time do their knees even touch the ground. Brooks actually went and had a knee operation to prevent his knee from ever touching the ground, lining up it with a putt. I've not in my life ever seen someone's knees touch a putting green, ever, let alone almost praying behind the ball, trying to fix a, a, a pitch mark. I thought that was out. Outrageous Philly And then my last outrage. Still going I've got one more And then we've got some good stuff Dodgy facts You can imagine my horror this morning When I discovered that Hannah Green had come third At the Scandinavian Mixed According to um, Well the PGA of Australia Uh, She wasn't playing I'm fairly sure she was playing in the US And (laughs) she came third And shot the second lowest round of the final round She shot 66 in the last round to come third.
0: Where was that reported, Phil? Uh,
1: only the PGA of Australia on oh, Twitter. I mean, wow. I'm, I'm sure it was difficult to check those facts.
0: Yeah, it must have been. Wow, Philly, Philly's, um, <laughs> Philly's just potting everyone at the moment. Can I have, have I, In fact, have one.
1: while I'm on a roll, I've got a couple more. As an upside, Scandinavian mixed. What a cracking event. Cool idea, huh? Great idea. Men and women, same course, same group, same purse, different tees. You've got Annika and Henrik, two fan favourites, and two of our favourites as hosts. My question is, is this the next step for the Vic Open, which was leading the way mm-hmm. by having men and women competing in the same facility? Is it time to take the next step
0: and get them playing together? I don't see why not. I think it's a great idea. I'd love to see it. Would you go and see it, Phil? I certainly would.
1: For mine, it would be far more interesting. Um, I mean, even though they'd all still hit it well past me, <laughs> um, there'd be this this combination of brute strength and touch and, and class and finesse. Yeah. Um, but also the, the actions are... Are amazing on, on both tours. And in fact, if anything, on the, the LPGA tour and the ladies, or oh, sorry, women professionals, oh, gee, oh, I was got in trouble there, swinging with a far more classical, seems more classical action. And the men are going down the track of, am I allowed to call the men? Uh, going down the track of, of, of whatever it takes of owning their, their swing. But it's, I'd love it. Oh, absolutely. It
0: would be far more entertaining. It's entertaining. I think, again, we've got to get back to this game being about entertainment for. And that that brings me on to a bit of an update for Uh the PGL-SGL. PGL, the PGL, the Premier. Well, they're two separate. Well, things. they are. They are, but then the concepts are similar. So it's it's the concept yes, but... that we're we're needing to get over the line uh, at the moment, are we not? But there's been a little bit of movement. There was uh, there was a report. I think ESPN. I think there was a BBC report as well. So you were right on the money. First of all, kudos to Philly for his uh, for his hot scoop. Uh, what were you, about a month ago now? Yep. The announcement that the PGL. Is going to go uh, is was going to launch in twenty twenty three two hundred and fifty million pound uh, Premier Golf League planning to launch in January twenty twenty three, and that's that's the British based one Phil, by the World Golf Group. So they're talking about eighteen tournaments targeting forty eight of the top male players in the world. Uh, each event, you know, around well heaps heaps of coin behind it twenty million I think it is, or fifteen million um, a tournament. So it's not the same as the Saudi backed uh, super Golf League, which has sort of gone a little bit quiet, which almost you get a bit more worried about that, because if that's quiet, there's something happening behind the scenes, I'm sure of it. So, But which one Which one gets up for yours? I know these guys have, have announced it. One, will they get up? But PGL's Saudi-backed. No, the PGL's a British-based World Golf Group one. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah British. Yeah, that's right. The old British-based Saudis. It's both, both are Saudi money. He's Here, what i Are you saying. sure about both that? Both are Saudi money. Okay. Yeah, I am. And the The lines between the two are rather murky about who is who in the pond. Um, The fact that it is still forty-eight players, it is still captains. It is still the captains choose the scores uh, or the players they want to count. Um, Everything, you know, eighteen events. I think we reported fourteen events. Sorry about that. It was eighteen events. I think we reported fifteen million. Sorry about that. It's twenty. Top forty-eight players in the world was a was Mm -hmm. a given. There's a lot of pushback. One of the interesting things about the PGL is they announced this equity for the people and and taking 50% of the equity in the the whole event and giving back to the people. Um, And it would be fair to say that stuff like this has happened before, and they call it Amway, Um, but in terms of giving back and feeding back, oh, no, that's
0: right, everyone will benefit.
1: Mm, I'm not so sure. And I don't think
0: I care <laughs> really. <laughs> I just think it's I just think it's a real potential for incredible excitement, um and just changing the way in which golf is being represented. Uh, and I think there's there is a lot of angst from a lot of players and player agents, et cetera, on the PGA tour and the European Tour about you know they feel they're not getting their fair share. Uh, I think it's I mean the threat the threat of the player expulsion from the PGA and European tours. Surely that's just a bit of chess beating. On the face of it, it just looks like a restriction of trade. Aren't all the players? Aren't players? You probably know this better than me. Aren't players contractors rather than employees of their tours?
1: Well, we went through this in our PGAs major problem podcast. In that they are, and there'll be no basis for restricting them from playing in a major, or otherwise. The PJ tour, the PJ tour could restrict them from playing the PJ yeah, tour, true. but they they will not be able to be restricted from playing a major. Um and Ryder Cup on on the um, That's the tricky one. Ryder Cup's it? an interesting Ryder Cup's an interesting one, but again, um Ryder Cup is not a PJ tour um event, isn't it? It's USGA and RNA? am
0: I'm I'm not hundred percent sure.
1: I'm making stuff up as I go along, I don't care. They'll be allowed to play Ryder Cup, they'll be allowed to play Majors, and then the PJ Tour can cut off their nose despite their face. And then they again they reap what they sow. It's like this P- PIP thing with your mates. Oh, we'll talk um, about it. They, they reap what they sow. So, you know, you, you encourage people, like, let's get back to the Corn Ferry tour punch on. You encourage people to be a little bit more active and snipey and all the rest of it, then potentially the flow on is that, you know, well, any social media is good social media. So, why don't I just beat the living suitcase out of that bloke? Or probably, as, as again, something I saw this morning, it was more likely a slap and run. But it, it yeah, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't matter. You don't play golf because you're the toughest guy in the room or girl. That's true. Woman, now, Philly,
0: before we move on to the U.S. Open, uh, the U.S. Open preview, I just wanted to touch on uh, the John Rahm incident at the Memorial a couple of weeks back, where uh, leading by was he leading by six shots or something, uh, and yep. he was um, scratched for a positive COVID nineteen test, uh, went into isolation, and he's he will be back for the U.S. Open, which is which is wonderful for him. Um, and for golf fans as well. But my question for you is, one, a couple of questions. One, was it fair that he was scratched? Two, for him to be withdrawn on that basis, shouldn't everyone have been forced to be withdrawn because of the exposure to COVID-19, if you want to go down that track? And the last one, what happens if he reveals, you know, he has another positive test? We've been seeing these false positive tests coming up around the place. What happens if that happens? Do they allow him to keep going, or do they rip him him out of it?
1: Um, There's a number of, and remains in my mind at least a number of integrity issues around the whole decision making. That I think if we get it back to how he caught it, um, you know, and that idea of a close contact, um, and then saying you know he he knew the risks going in, that I was with a close contact, he reported it as such. John Rahm did everything right, and he was just unlucky that he came back and tested positive, apparently. Um, great news for John Rahm is we then immediately um, flew him out to Australia to put him into the quarantine hotels in Victoria. <laughs> so he's Nothing now, could go wrong. Nothing could go wrong. So he's tested positive for 47 days in a row and he's only been here for 10. Uh, and then flew him back to Tory Pines to commence his US Open preparations. The concern is, and initially I'd, I'd asked the question and saw the commentary around was he vaccinated? I actually don't care. Like, initially, it was like, oh, well, he should have been vaccinated. But I, I don't care whether he is or isn't, and I don't care – I don't believe he has an obligation to have advised anyone whether he was or wasn't. Other than knowing the risks of, you were a close contact of a primary contact, and therefore, we're going to be testing you all the time. The concern that I had, which is your point, was Cameron Champ – Um, no, not Cameron Champ because he was Patrick coming Cantlay. up. Patrick Cantlay. Scott Scheffler and Patrick Cantlay, who – Actually played around with him. I would have thought, given that again that only fifty people are allowed on a golf course in Victoria, um, in you know, in it to support social distancing. I would have thought if you're playing in the same group as someone, that would probably make you a primary close contact. Mm,
0: it's crazy. Well, in in light of the Ram incident as well, like, are professional golfers are they better off trying to get COVID out of the way, so to speak? Um, so that it doesn't cost them big at some point i mean look at what happens if the leader at tory pines leads by six shots through the three rounds this week then returns a positive test and they've they've, they've taken out um, of a major i mean there's potentially legal ramifications to that um there's you know Betting. you wouldn't walk off exactly you wouldn't walk off uh, in a heartbeat you don't know if you can trust the testing because there's been so many false positives the 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 um what was interesting for me with Ram is that a few
1: of the big betting agencies in the US paid it out as a win. Um, and I think that kind of implies in itself, one, that it wasn't fair that he was kicked mm-hmm. out, and that's the typical US-centric idea. But secondly is, you know, we're just not willing to expose ourselves if it ever comes back saying, actually, you know what, we we did a third test, and he didn't have COVID. He did have the yips. Um, but he was withdrawn because of the yips. Um but again, so are they worth – should a PJ Tour almost go out of their way to come to a quarantine hotel in Victoria to get COVID is what you're suggesting. So this could be an enormous event for Melbourne.
0: Well, what I'm saying is we know that um, – or the, the strong evidence suggests that you're not going to get it twice. Uh, and for the pros, I'm talking purely from a business point of view, are they – is it worth them? And then we know that these guys are in an age bracket where it's, it's virtually – you know, it, it's not nearly as dangerous as it, as it is for the Champions to, shall we say. Why, I mean, it might actually be in their interest to, like the chicken pox back in the day, Philly. Get the chicken pox, <laughs> get it out of the way. It'll cause you more issues down the track. Get it out of the way, and now you're free to go and run wild. Uh, it appears 18 months ago,
1: or, or close to that, uh, we declared that this uh, whole COVID thing a bit of a blow-up. And in fact, anointed the new NBA franchise, the Wuhan Coffers, at the time. So what I'm proposing on the back of what you suggested is that we put on the COVID Masters in Melbourne, where we bring them all into the quarantine hotel, we all go to Royal Melbourne, they all catch it, they all play together because they've all got it. They compete for $15 million and we'll call it the PGL.
0: There you go. It's
1: genius. magnificent. That's...
0: I actually think I, I think they I really hope it doesn't get to that cat get get to that um in a major or in a in a massive event cuz I think they've set them they've shot themselves a little bit in the foot here and I'm I know there's so much hysteria around it that it's difficult for the governing bodies to to make the right calls on every you know on every occasion with it but I don't know Phil I'm I'm worried this could this could escalate at some point um and it's going to get ugly
1: uh, well, I don't reckon it will. But then again, I didn't even pick a player who made the cut in the US PGA. Now, before we get onto the good stuff, I, I just want to call this out because I think this is phenomenal. Winning is a habit, Garrick Higo. Mm, great story. This is this is his last eight weeks. He's fourth in the Austrian Open. He's won the Grand Canary Open. He's come eighth in the Tenerife Open. He won the Canary Islands Open. He, he was a Challenge Tour player who goes and plays a European Tour event, and wins it, wins another European Tour event, then plays the PGA, comes sixty fourth in the PGA, but but then wins the Palmetto, and now he's gone from Challenge Tour to European Tour to US Tour, like in the in the blink of an eye, um, swings it outstandingly. He's a left-hander, which is a concern, <laughs> um, but how's that for an eight-week? Stretch and, and, again, the smile, the humility, all those other great things we talked about with um, Yuka Sasso and all these, the other players are just the great things about the, the game of golf. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Armitage, um, you know, two and a half or two weeks ago as well. It, it's, it's just – winning is a habit. Winning
0: is a habit. Absolutely. I've heard that it is,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, not that I would know. Sorry. I hear winning is a habit. That's a very, that's a very good point.
0: Now, U.S. Open. Yep. Sorry, Phil. Yeah. So, to kick things off with the U.S. Open, first, I just want to get it out there how much I love Torrey Pines as a as a um as a course, or as a, especially as a major course. It's the scene of my favorite U.S. Open victory ever. I absolutely loved watching Tiger Woods over at Rocco Mediate in two thousand and eight. Tiger with a busted knee and on a broken leg that was one of the toughest displays by a sportsman i've i've ever witnessed and i reckon anyone's ever witnessed but one of the things Phil that people forget is a lot of people think that he, he won it with that you know that you know that iconic image of him celebrating on the 18th after draining that tricky, uh, tricky part. But people forget that that was actually just to tie and force a playoff, which was the last 18-hole playoff in the U.S. Open the next day. Now I think they have a, a two-hole aggregate um, from memory, yeah. but uh, it was yeah the last 18-hole playoff the next day. So there he is. He's got the. I think he had a broken tibia. I think it was. He had torn ligaments in his knee. He had. He was so banged up, Tiger. And you watch him through that round four uh, round. And he's, he's wincing you know, before shots, after shots. You could see the guy was just in absolute agony. Somehow finds the will to get through and force that playoff. The adrenaline's pumping. But then he's got to go home and he's got to go uh, and get through a night of, of a lot of pain, obviously. Then get back up. The adrenaline's gone next day for another epic round with Rocco Media. And that, in itself was a fantastic um, battle between the two of them on the on the Monday. And he ends up winning by one shot. Such a brilliant victory. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And it's at Torrey, and I'm so excited uh, that we're back here because uh, that means they'll be showing that on repeat pretty much, and uh, <laughs> I'm excited about it. So is there anything about the course that excites you, or is it just the memory? I like the looks of the trees. <laughs> the Torrey Pine is a pretty iconic image itself being... Uh, being sculpted by the by the salt water, the mist off the off the sea. Uh, but honestly, the actual course itself, I'm not even sure I, I could tell you too much about it because I. It's got greens and tees. I've heard it's going to be look. All the talk is it's going to be a real, you know, bomber and gouge kind of um, kind of setup uh, for this week, which I don't particularly love. Um, compared to you know, I'd like to see a little bit more of the finesse side of things, but the, again, they're talking about the the rough being pretty ridiculously thick, so that might play into it as well. But it's more that you know what it's like when you have there's a there's a venue or or a course in this case where you've seen something epic happen. You just love it. They always seem to throw up a really cool story. So I'm uh, I'm a little bit excited to see what gets thrown up this week.
1: So the thing I like about Tory Pines uh, South is that it it is a, a public course. It's a, mm, a municipal, municipal course, course. yeah. Um, and again, when I you look at Bethpage Black and even uh, you know whatever the other bloody joint was Chambers Bay and all these other courses where it is just pay for play. Um, and I love the fact that they stage majors on courses, and I love the fact they have courses capable of staging majors that you can just rock up. Uh, and pay and and get a hit. Not quite that it's that simple, but it's pretty close. Um, no matter the cost. But I, I, as far as Tory Pines goes, I I actually have done a lot of research for this podcast. I I know that he's got Pines on it. Uh, I know they have the farmers insurance there. There's a lot of holes that'll look roughly familiar, but I couldn't tell you what the yeah you couldn't was. You couldn't
0: walk it like you could at a Augusta or a
1: and so that's the the striking thing, but not the striking thing about it is that it's Tory Pines South. But what is wow about it, other than the fact that it runs along the coast, and what is wow about it? So they've tricked it up with the rough, and they'll do all those other things. But it's not a. It's visually. It'll be visually nice because they'll catch glimpses of water everywhere. But in terms of the the purity of a golf course, mm-hmm. is it an unbelievably good golf course? It's probably just another nice one along the coast, and there's a lot of nice ones along that. That. Coastline,
0: and it starts
1: with a coastline. But as soon
0: as you're on the coast, weather does come into play. So the course could get trickier with with some severe winds or a bit of rain or, or something along those lines, Philly. So as you, as you would know, anything along the coast can be tricked up pretty quickly.
1: Uh, and we saw that with some of the mist around when Makakawa won mm-hmm. um, <laughs> in San Francisco. Thank you, Kipper. Uh, that's just for you, Kipper, who, um, again, was too concerned about choosing a player that missed the cut. So he <laughs> couldn't join us tonight. Um, but again, there'll be other elements that will come into play, but, but, and we'll get on to who we think, you know, cause this is what everyone's waiting for, who we think can, who we think can't win a little bit later on. Now I was watching, speaking of, of golf courses that are, um, along the, the coast or close enough to it, I was watching highlights and I just need to get this out there of the 98 US Open, mm-hmm. um, at Olympic, um, because I, I loved Olympic and obviously we know what happened to Lexi and Yuka Sasso and, and how painful and joyful that was for those two. But there was a comment that Johnny Miller made that I just want to bring attention to during the coverage at at 98 US Open, and it was regarding Lehman and Payne Stewart, where they said that they'd just been put on the clock. So a rules official came on in the coverage and just said, you know, they've just been put on the clock. And Nicholas said, if they had have done that to Jack, he may have only won about six majors. (laughs)
0: He's not not like Johnny Miller to put out a controversial statement.
1: Had you now now call me misinformed, real informed? Had you ever heard that Nicholas was notoriously
0: no, slow? Never, never have, never have I had even an inkling that he was a slow player. To be honest, was he was he particularly slower than other golfers of the era?
1: Well, he might, I mean, for Johnny Miller to make that that comment, and quite rightly, the USGA official discovered that. Well, obviously, I'm not commenting on that. Um, and it was swatted away and nothing further was spoken about. But obviously, Johnny Miller was desperate going back, you know, and he's 23 years ago. So it's kind of topical, uh, not, but, but he was desperate to make that, that comment. But it was around the US Open and around the fact that, that when they make these courses so tricked up, things do slow down and it becomes very easy to overanalyze a shot or to to put your, yourself in such bad positions, whether it be deep rough or otherwise, which we're going to see at Tory. That rounds just become slower by
0: design. By nature and, of it being difficult, yeah.
1: And I wonder whether part of that leads to why there have been so many comebacks in the US Opens because there's, there's so many things going through their mind about where not to hit it and what not to do, and it's slow and there's all this pressure because there's been a significant number of, of comebacks. He had um, Billy Casper was seven behind Arnold Palmer with nine to play back in 66 when the continuous putting. Rule was around for those two years. And once you started putting, you couldn't mark your ball again. You Had to put out. Yeah. Had to finish out. And here's one for you. Billy Casper did not have one three-putt in the 90 holes they had to play at the 66 USA.
0: That's because he was really good with his proximity to the hole, Phil. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, obviously he was. Um, although it wasn't good enough that he didn't end up being seven behind with nine to play. But he still got up. Um, Johnny Miller, 1973 at Oakmont. Started the day six behind. He hit every green in regulation on the way to 63 at Oakmont. So if ever someone's got the right to make a flippant comment about Jack, it potentially is him. Hale Irwin, 1994, behind after three rounds, shot 31 on the back night. So they chase them down. So the U.S. Open creates mindsets of being of chasing and being chased, and then you've got Tiger, which was just Tiger, where he wasn't necessarily being chased. He was just Enduring everything, as you quite rightly point out, and then we go to the the U.S. Women's Open, and we've got Ukaszewski five down, five behind with thirteen to play. U.S. Opens create they create tension, and by the way, the courses either the way the courses shaped, made the pressure around it. If you're four behind with four to play for some reason, you're a chance. It's
0: the implied pressure as well, and and obviously, what's at stake being a being a major title filly. That's all got to play into it
1: bad decision making good decision making poor shots under pressure i mean again we don't want to go over caddy's old ground choking. caddy's choking under pressure caddy's giving poor club advice but but thinking about lexi and again not not to go over old ground i mean she chipped a couple like i do and that's not a compliment <laughs> not for anyone so so things so pressure is applied so the question i have for you is is there more pressure at a u.s open than any other major,
0: I wouldn't say than any other major. I mean, we've seen seen similar meltdowns at US uh, at sorry at um, at Open Championships. Van obviously, uh, we've seen the Masters. We've seen my boy Jordan Spieth. We've seen, dare I say, Norman. Mention that. We've smaller field. Though. It is a smaller field, but that doesn't necessarily... But the, the the stakes are still the same. Is the pressure stronger because there are more people in the field, Phil, or is it just because you've Still got the same things at stake. I can't see that the the depth has too much to do with it in terms of pressure.
1: But I think in terms of the journey, in terms of grinding out the four days as well as the practice days, I think the U.S. Open. Now I'm basing this on no research. I believe the U.S. Open is the most draining major that there is because there's the fear in the lead up. Like everyone knows what they're going to get at Augusta and they know what they're going to get at the Open. They know at Augusta they're going to get quick greens, but there's never a discussion around making the rough 25 inches high. There's never discussion at the Open about doing the same thing, whereas the US Open, there's the hype. And even Zazander um, you know, last week, there was all the uh, social media of, of him dropping the ball in the rough, which happens at every major now, but they don't do that at Augusta. They don't go, oh, look how deep yeah, the rough is and Augusta. every
0: year, I mean... <laughs> The thing is, it's also marketed as the toughest test in golf. The fact that there's all this marketing around it, and it's ever present uh, when you're talking all things U.S. Open, how difficult it's going to be. They're told if you're told something's going to be, you're going to have four days of absolute pain. It's going to be it's it's hard. You're not sleeping all that well. You're sitting there worrying about because you worry about you know the bad things that are going to happen rather than focusing on the good, which is human nature. So clearly, the U.S. Open being that way. Yeah, it's that perceived pressure, even if it's not necessarily there, is obviously going to have a more of a weight on their shoulders, I guess. So I, I don't disagree with you that it is arguably the at least mentally the the testiest.
1: You don't disagree that it's arguably arguably at least mentally the toughest. Does that mean you agree with me? I don't me?
0: want to use it. I don't want to say I agree. I want to say <laughs> I don't disagree, Phil. The old double negative.
1: The old double negative, but either way, we love it. We love, love it as an event. I, I love it when they're on the west coast, being in Australia, because you, you, you know, you just feel like it's closer to you. <laughs> you know, I, I, I grasp at little things, <laughs> wow. um, literally. But but the event itself, I think, is going to be exciting. Whether it's the perfect course for it, the perfect location for it, I, I think, in reality, everything's only building up to the Ryder Cup anyway. So, you know. Let's just move them through. Well, and the open. Why
0: why don't we move on, Philly, to we set ourselves a task, as we did at the Masters. Um, We wanted to set a task of who we think can win and who we think cannot win this week. And I'll let you go first with your can't. Uh,
1: With the can't win, because I'm not wanting to question the character of the gentleman. So just to recap on our awesomeness from the PGA, the can't win that I chose didn't win. The can win that I chose didn't make the cut. Right. So here's my can't win. So you can't you can't be and any this worse,
0: is, is what you're telling me.
1: Is what I'm is what I'm telling everybody. So this is my my can't win, and on the basis of one shot that I saw from the weekend, Dustin Johnson. Oh wow. Okay.
0: Can't win. I mean it, it's it's a bomb yeah bomb and gouge course. He's a bomb and gouge player. Yeah. No. This is this is I like this is strong. Phil. Good start by right. you.
1: And the reason was is that the greens. Hometown, South Carolina, Grounds Pure at Congaree or Congaree or con He had a two-foot putt that barely hit the lip. Oh,
0: that's, that's sticking uh, in his mind.
1: Went under the pump. It, four holes to play, three holes to play. I think it was on 16, maybe 15. It, it, it didn't hit the lip. It was his first three-putt in 130-odd holes.
0: A so not off. just an anomaly, Phil? You think it's a bit more than that?
1: It could have been a bad read. Could have been this, could have been that. I don't care. When a how do you misread putt, well, a two-foot putt? it brushed the lip. I didn't miss the lip. You can't misread a two-foot putt. All you can do is hit one badly with all the intense pressure and everything else going on around it. U.S. Open, Dustin Johnson.
0: I'm sorry, you can't win. That, that's a pretty. That's a pretty weak can't win. I must admit, Phil. I can get weak. Oh, I'm sure you are. should hear how weak my can win is. <laughs> well, my my can't win is actually a combination, Philly. It's the Brooksy Deshambo. The the Bryson, Bryson uh, Kepka. I'm saying that the two of them cannot win. I mean, they should, in theory, they should do well, considering, as we keep saying, that the bomb and gouge set up, which is likely to confront them. But um, these two, they'll be too busy, just, you know, too distracted, hating on each other, and or more to the point, trying to cash in on the player impact program that the PGA's got going. Um Basically, the way I see it, their collective eyes will not be on the prize. Brooks is a US Open beast. He normally prepares himself beautifully for these these tournaments. And here's a stat for your Philly. He's a combined 17 under in the past seven US Opens, which is 10 better than the next best, which is your boy Shafafili. So he should, in theory, be an absolute Monty this week. But I'm saying with the, the recency of the Phil Mickelson uh, win in the PGA where he handed it to Brooks, uh, Brooks' uh, dinged-up knee combined with his sookiness and Bryson feud that's going on or the, or the PIP distraction, no. Nah, he's not coming as prepared to this as he should. So I say he's out. Uh, he is done. He's, he's zero chance and Bryson for the same thing. I think they're too distracted playing, uh, uh, playing with each other than playing the course. So to speak. But could you, quite seriously, could you imagine Tiger getting involved in that kind of tit for tat uh, conflict with a major on the horizon? You just wouldn't see it. I can't it. imagine. Where's the focus?
1: Um, I can't imagine any of them getting involved in it other than those two. And I'm still not convinced that it is. That yeah. this is not just an urn, and time will tell. And Steve Stricker came out even talking about this week, saying, you know, it is a concern out of the Ryder Cup, and I hope they'd bury the hatchet. Hopefully, he doesn't mean in each other.
0: But Brooks said himself uh, in an interview that it's basically this is good for golf and that it's kind of appealing to the uh, to the younger generation. So it's, it almost feels like it's a bit constructed,
1: which is leading and this is a, a a long bow, but it's why Danny Green in Australia with his awesome work about changing the terminology from a king hit to a coward punch, is the same thing to to suggest, oh because they love UFC, they love they'll love me punching on. Because they love me punching on the Corn Ferry tour guys figure it's okay to just whack a bloke because I questioned his etiquette. Uh, I mean it's all just crap and I don't like this is the parent in me coming out. But it's all just crap and if either of them were parents, they're not going down this track. Mm, I
0: agree. No. Phil, uh, I but, don't but disagree Shuda, with
1: you. Yes. That thank you, thank you, yes, thank you. That's two don't disagrees. I'm gonna take that as a double negative positive. Now Shooter though. You do do some good research when it comes to who you think can win.
0: Doubtful. I want to know who you think can win. You're going to be surprised by my can win, Phil. And you're going to be surprised because rarely, if ever, have you seen me or heard me tip him? He's normally he's one of your favorites. He's not loved by everyone. Oh. But I'm actually mm. dead set on Patrick Reid this week. Yes. With your boy, Paddy. We are making Reed great again. He's, uh, there's actually some basis for what I'm saying. The course is suited to his game. Now, ob- obviously, his last win in January, which was the Farmers Insurance Open, was played at Torrey Pines. His past performance at that at that event, he's been you know he's, he was T6 last year, so he's been in uh, top ten, and he was just outside the top ten the year before. But the bigger reason is not just that the course is suited to him, and he's not a big bomber and gouger really, but he's He's under the radar, and this is when Patrick does his best stuff. He's, he's currently, I think he's a 26 to 1. That was 30-odd to 1, at, you know, only yesterday I think it was, but clearly people are getting behind him a little bit. But he's, he's the, the world's number nine-ranked player, and he's so far under the radar, it's ridiculous. And I think it's because of the old Brooksy and Bryson feud. It's taken the heat off him, taken all that attention off him. And we all know when no one's watching, that's when he, he seems to score well. For, I'm not making, not making any implications, but I'm just saying that he will, he, the, the spotlight's not on him. And that's when he gets a little bit sniggy sneaky. So, um, and I'll grant that he's been, that Reed has been inconsistent this year, parking yeah, a string of. Top ten finishes among some missed cuts this season, but his record in majors is is hard to fold. He's always thereabouts, and I think this is his best chance that he's had to win a major in years. Crowds are back. It's a U.S. Open. Good gets him angry. Preferred lies. They'll start te- They'll start having a crack at him. That just makes him fires him up. He's one of those guys who craves the conflict
1: uh, and the energy, and, and I think actually needs the energy. And we saw this from his Ryder Cup performances when there is energy negative or positive look even at even at the president's cup going back to that when he was i think a lazy was it seven or eight under after the first 10 um on the last day with everyone throwing everything at him i mean he's caddy the day before his caddy had been banned um you know it, he just loves he loves and feeds off the energy and absolutely i don't disagree with you truda oh, no. uh and I don't disagree with you to the point where when we independently had to come up with two names for who can and who can't win. Uh, the name of my can win this week is Patrick Reid. Oh, are, you, are you reading off my book here?
0: Are you just leaning over? And
1: the, the, and my reasonings are exactly the same as yours and nothing to do with anything other than his iron play. He's, a, he's flusher. Just a flusher. And I maintain... Absolute flusher. I maintain... Yeah. And I, I had the joy of sitting behind him hitting balls for 20 minutes at the present. Just card. the
0: sound felt you, you could hear how different it is when he hits. It's just, it's gorgeous.
1: He's is the second best ball striker behind yep, Tiger. I agree. I he, don't disagree. He, he um, as you say, he's he's not having an image makeover, but he has been desperate for crowds to come back in an event that he loves and will crave and will thrive on. And if it's not Patrick Reed, it's probably going to be someone stupid like Webb Simpson. But Patrick Reed. Patrick so let me do all the research and put the facts
0: out there, and you just jump on the on the bandwagon Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's good. Man. No, good by you now. Um, do you have an outsider at all that you think think might surprise?
1: Yeah, Webb Simpson. Uh, I'm assuming he's playing and didn't miss the pre Q like Fowler well, was, or, yeah. or Jason Day, who didn't even bother to turn up. Yes, we'll have to talk um, about Jason
0: Day in another podcast because uh, well, wow, where's he going? Wow.
1: Well, but I think I think yeah, I'm going to go with two, and one is just a bandwagon. Is if winning is a habit. Then it would be foolish not to put money on Higo, because he's got Garrick Higo has got winning in his veins, and he's just up and about. He's young and he doesn't care, and it might mean that he he blows
0: out. But it, he, is he playing? Yeah, of course he's playing. What's he What's he paying? Do you know? Not sure. Um, no, he'll be out there.
1: Yeah, some nine thousand points or something—they call it in the US.
0: My outsider, and I have to throw this in because the one time I didn't mention him, he he, uh, he finished second. So Louis Ustaisan, he's paying fifty-one to one. Phil, that's ridiculous. How,
1: how is that even possible?
0: Always. So I've actually got a little bit on the two of them. I'm gonna I'll be back here next week crowing if uh, if they either of them get up. I mean, he's as hard as um, majors are to win. I just see Louis winning another major at some point. Like sure, he's one of those. Do you know what I mean? Like he's one of those major-looking kind of golfers. He's got sort of that whole, the skill, the temperament, the the ability to hole out on occasion. He's consistent. He's just kind of got that complete game. He's one of those guys you're looking ah, you're you're sort of a made for major. Like a bit like Brooks he's, Brooks is a similar. He's a ma- he's a major winner rather than just a tool winner. So I, yeah, Louis, he's 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 massive overs. You've got to put a little bit on him, surely.
1: Well, if I had a little bit, I would. But but unflust, unflustered, uh, undaunted by anything that he's put in front of him and just goes about his business like a lot of the South Africans do. He's got the
0: best temperament. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, the South Africans obviously – well, here you go. So these boys are – they're obviously um, – South African golf is still in pretty strong hands at the moment.
1: Yeah, and we'll just wait for Australian golf to catch up.
0: Fairway away. Anything else you wanted to add to the US Open preview podcast, Philly?
1: Um, Kipper's tips were Tony
0: for now. Is that the um, who could
1: win? Uh, uh, no, I'm making this up. Okay. But Tony for now uh, can win. Uh, Phil Mickelson can't win. Uh, and his outsider was
0: John Rahm because he doesn't fully understand the concept of the outside. Rahm will go very, very close just for the record. We'll, we'll say Thanks, Kipper. And on that note, I think we better bring today's Tenuous Links Golf Podcast to a close. Thank you, Philly, for sharing all your thoughts as our eyes turn towards Torrey Pines. Fingers crossed you pick a winner. And be sure to sign up at golfbarons.com, follow us on all of our socials, and remember to series link Season 2 of Golf Barons now playing on Fox Sports 503 and on KO and Foxtel On Demand. Thanks again for listening, Barons, and until next time, remember to add some swagger to your swing.